This is Joshua Bell with the Kilt and the Cloth. With my first sermon back on July 11th, 2021, I wanted to say thank you for all of those that preached for me while I was gone. I truly appreciated it. So here's my sermon. I hope you enjoy, and God bless. My scripture this morning is taken from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. He destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and insight. He has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and on earth. In Christ, we have also obtained an inheritance, having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and will. May God bless the reading of God's holy scripture. Amen. At the very core of this passage of scripture, God is described by the writer as beneficent. One who consistently intends to confer salvation and blessing. Passage 2 insists that praise is the only appropriate response we can offer to such a God. He talks about in verse 3 that every spiritual blessing highlights the of God's salvation. He also talks about, in verse 4 and verse 6, this very stylistic way of Paul's writing, where he might refer to the motive for divine action. Which leaves us in a weird place for today. Let's talk a little bit about Paul's church. Most of them, in the first century, would have been kind of struggling with who they were. It was all of a sudden there would have been Gentiles and Jews in the same place. And most of the time, as Paul would write to these churches, there was probably a collection of Jews that he would have been either staying with or working with or had entrusted the power of Jesus' teaching, which is weird for them. Let me give you an example. It would be like all of a sudden you came to church on a Sunday morning and I decided on your behalf, that you are no longer allowed to have communion. Oh, and then I would say, and deal with it. Paul doesn't necessarily mince words. He basically just says, if you don't like it too bad, so sad, there's other places for you to go. I, on the other hand, would like to stay here for a long time, so I wouldn't say that. But it's the same idea. Paul comes to them and he says, this is how you're going to do it from now on. This causes a problem. 
their entire existence, for especially those that were Jewish in their life, in that church's group, had been brought up to understand Torah and everything that it represents. And then when Jesus comes, he doesn't say that it's not for the to say that you're doing Torah wrong. He says this is for the fulfillment of Torah. And then maybe, maybe just like a rabbi would do, gives them a sense of midrash and says, maybe as you're living this life in the glory of God, the Creator, you try it this way. Paul gets it this one moment. In this moment, Paul's saying to them, here is the opportunity for you to understand blessings. And then he talks about using language like heritage, adoption. And he brings in this idea of how all of these things are connected. In the meantime, just like we would be struggling, that church is struggling with a sense of identity. How does this work? You can hear them saying, how does one find and be in the presence of the divine? What if I'm a Gentile and I have not been taught the ways of Torah? Well, what if I'm a, a Jew and I have learned the ways of Torah? How am I supposed to feel a presence of the divine? In Paul's understanding, our motives for us to seek presence of the divine in the midst of humanity. It becomes complicated, but nothing about following Jesus is simple. Just a little sidebar. One of the things that I have found in the last 25 years of ministry is, is that I struggle with turning my brain off. It drives my wife crazy. It starts to drive you crazy. I can see it in midst of moments where all of a sudden I have not the ability to stop thinking. And I find that if I don't take opportunities to separate myself from the moment, as if I was in the church in Ephesus, and to go out and seek the presence of the divine, I start to walk around aimlessly, going from one place to the next, expecting different results, doing the exact same thing. Does this sound familiar? A lot of times we in church have a tendency to find ourselves looking for blessings in all the wrong places. It's not as simple as saying, well, God must have chosen this parking space for me while I go into Walmart, but at the same time, it happens, so it must be a blessing from God. I'm pretty sure that God doesn't care about where you park. I find myself in the midst of this moment trying to figure out a way to describe to you the ways that I find the presence of the divine. So let me tell you a little bit about my We had this plan. It changed. We modified it, and it became a journey for me and for Kevin, who gets to be along this journey with me at that point, to find pieces of closure that I never received. When I left Virginia, there was a huge hole in my heart. Now I want to talk with you a little bit about how that means. 
but I mean there was a hole in my heart. You all know what it's like when you're in the middle of something and you've worked really hard to get to it, and then all of a sudden it gets knocked out from me beneath you. Or you change directions midstream, and this thing that you've been working towards, that you've been nurturing and taking care of, all of a sudden is not what you thought it would turn into. And it's turned out to be like a venomous flytrap that's trying to eat and consume you, but I'm not bitter. But you find yourself with these holes in your existence that some way, somehow, you have to bring closure to. Now, I loved being in Virginia, but there was a huge hole in my heart. And there was something about Virginia that I felt the presence of the divine deeply rooted within my DNA. So let me paint you a picture. As a child growing up, one of the things that I loved about going camping was getting away from my family, like all the time, um, and finding a good clearing out in the middle of the mountains away from everyone as we struggled to find uh, a sense of peace. Now what I would do is, is I would wait till the end of the day, right at sunset, and I'd find a good spot to sit in, maybe with a little bit of shade, but you know, I'm not going to sit out in the middle of the, the, the field at 3 o'clock in the afternoon getting burnt by the sun and, and all this stuff. I wanted to wait until the end of the day where I felt you could feel and see the true presence of the divine. I always like to get on the top of a mountain where I could look over a valley, and as the sun starts to set, the, the sky starts to change. Like an artist taking strokes, right? the changes of the colors of the sky, the clouds moving and dissipating, and you could hear the brush of a gentle breeze brush over the top of you, and you could start to hear things start to fall asleep, and the cicadas coming wide awake. And all the while, you're alone in the midst of this wilderness. Then, in a stroke of genius, as if God knows that you need to be in that presence. And the sky is lit up as far as the eye can see with bright, beautiful stars of different colors and shapes and different arrangements. And if it's a really good day, you can see as far as your eyes will take you. Now, you can't see that in the city as well. Sometimes you can look up and see the stars, but there's something different about being out in the wilderness and doing that. Because while you're out there, the stars are so bright, you don't even need a flashlight. City lights haven't drowned out the presence of the divine in the night sky. In that moment, in that moment, you know that you're not alone. Because if God can create this beautiful, beautiful, majestic art, God can forgive a sinner like me. This is what Paul's talking about. This is what Paul means by seeking a sense of salvation. And Paul is very adamant about including everyone, not just this group of people or this group of people. All those that take breath are children of God's, and if children, as I always say from the book of Romans, then children are heirs, heirs of God's grace. 
that moment, something about the divine that washes over you, find a sense calm the world cannot provide. And Paul then says, well, it's like heaping more blessings upon blessings upon you. Not only are you given, you're inheritors of God's grace. You can't tell for most English translations of this text, but this text is a very long sentence. Remember, in Greek, there are no markers. There's no commas, no periods. It's just one big, long line. It's 11 verses long, just to give you an idea in Greek. The NIV uses seven sentences to translate this passage. The NRSV, which I just read to you, uses six. And some of them are also rather long. And I've always found that whenever I use long sentences, I find that it's from one of two things. Either I'm trying to capture a multitude of ideas with one thought, like the night sky and the hole in my heart. Or I'm so excited that I'm running on from one thing to another, which is how I find myself on a daily basis serving our community. I think Paul is doing both here. Paul is so excited about God's grace that he can't find words to fully express it. So he falls all over himself as he begins to weave poetry and hymns together in a way that makes our heads swirl. If I was to read this to you again, Paul says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the rich of his grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and inside he has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and on earth. In Christ we have also obtained an inheritance. It's this kind of excitement that makes you want to get up and dance. I'm not going to dance for you. I'm not encouraging you to dance in your pews. You can see people do this on YouTube when you see them win the publisher's clearinghouse sweepstakes as they just start, <laughs> and they start jumping up and down with this exuberant joy. There's a sense of excitement. And that is exactly what Paul is doing with words. He's jumping up and down with exuberant joy. What about us? Are you joyful about the blessings that God has given to you? Blessings does not necessarily come in the form of finance. Paul's world and Christ's world, blessings are the opportunity to serve others in the name of God the Creator. To feed the homeless. To clothe, but to clothe the naked, to feed the hungry, to give homes to the homeless. Those are the blessings. And when we do that, as if you're sitting on the side of a mountain looking up at a night, 
for just a moment. The darkness of your day is illuminated by the presence of the divine. You have become a blessing to others. I think often we ask ourselves, why not us? Why can't we do that? Can you imagine what it would look like if you all walked around the street dancing with joy? Now, I'm not encouraging you to go to Homeland and jump up and down. I'm sure people will think that's normal. If they saw me do it, they'd probably think that was normal. But I, just imagine what the world would look like if we expressed that amount of joy that Paul is talking about here. Too often, I'm afraid, we'd rather find a way to pick up the tab for ourselves and to kind of move on. We'd rather express our independence than celebrate the gift that we've been given. So that becomes the challenge for us. How do we find and express and feel the presence of the divine in the midst of humanity? not like you have to go out into the wilderness every time to experience that. You can do that right there in your pews. You can do that right there in your homes. You can do that right as you're driving down the road. This moment. Our motive should be to strive to find a place of divine presence. Not that we can receive it, because we've already received the blessing, right? It's so that we can re-experience that blessing on blessing on blessing bless us. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen.